Good morning, and we're off because today we're going to hopefully learn Daf Lamed Vav in Masechet Sota, but we're starting five lines up from the bottom of Lamed Hey Amud Aleph. Andrew's already shaking his head. Andrew, we got this. Uh, we were talking yesterday about the Meraglim, and and that was a that was a topic that required a lot of analysis. Okay, and of course a lot more than we gave it, but uh, we did get bogged down, as it were. Now. Uh, we're Darash Rava. We're up to David Amelach. We're back to the story of the Aron coming back. Right? We have a lot of history here. We're talking about crossing the Yardane and the different times that the Torah was written in stone. Uh, more times than you may have realized. But right now, it's the Aron itself and the uh, punishment that David got when Uzzah okay, had touched the Aron um, on its on its way on its way back to Yerushalayim. Darsh David. Well, why would David get punished for Uzzah, right, touching the Aaron? Because David called Divrei Torah Zmiros. That's why he was punished? Yeah. First of all, isn't that a good thing? Don't we refer to the Torah as a Shira? Well, uh, if you look at Rashi, it, it looks like it's explaining, basically, that to him, it was like a soundtrack to his life, a soothing thing. But really, it's supposed to be intense focus also. In other words, Shinemar, first of all, how do we know that he called it Zmiros? Zmiros hayuli chukecha beves megurai. Right? So in Tehillim, David Ramelech saying, I was in fear. In this case, Beis Megurai, not uh, right where I lived in fear. Uh, running, he was on the run for a large portion of his life. Um, and he had reasons to be anxious, people running after him. And... He was saying, this was soothing to me. Kashbaruch says to David, which in Mishlei it says, if you close your eyes for a second, the whole thing is gone, meaning you have to have intense, constant focus, eye on the ball when you're learning. You can't just, you know, sort of think of it as this soothing background music while you're running away. That's not what it's for. It's supposed to be really, as we say, orangutan in your learning, right? Really, really... Intensely into it. And to you, this is like some sort of a song. I'm going to right, trip you up, says Akash Baruch Hu to David Melech, with something that even school children know, meaning I'm going to take a Pasuk that's supposed to be obvious, and or a Halacha that's supposed to be obvious, right, uh, and even to children. And because of your, we'll say in this context, Casual approach to Torah, you're going to uh, trip up in it. Like it says, uh, this pasuk is teaching you that the Aaron has to be carried uh, on the shoulders of the men, not placed onto the wagon as David had done. Remember, that's how this whole thing started. The Aaron was teeter tottering on the wagon, and that's why Uzzah touched it. This was David's idea to put the Aaron on the wagon. That was not. Uh, how the Aaron was supposed to be carried at all. Like, it seemed like a pragmatic idea, but we know that it's supposed to be carried manually, by hand. And David put it on the wagon. So you see what's going on here? The The idea is that David, uh, in some sense, again, that we don't understand, was somewhat casual, I guess you could say, about the uh, about the Torah, because he's, uh, and therefore, had he studied it more intensely, he may not have had this oversight and he would not have put it on the wagon. And yet it's interesting, right? We see that Hashem kind of caused it, right? Hashem 
caused him to, to make this mistake in a way. He said, right, because it says, I'm going to trip you up. So it's, uh, it's hard to, to, to know exactly the, the, the cause and effect. It's hard to say the David was really casual. But, you know, he, didn't, he liked the Siyat HaDashmaya to sometimes we just forget against our better judgment, etc. And so this was a, a type of Amida Kenegad Amida, as you could say, again, the biggest gedolim obviously are uh, being treated in the most exacting fashion in this in this case Davin Melech, and you know looking halavai we should see the Torah as our song and the background and music of our life right but obviously at his level this was considered to be too casual uh, in that regard and therefore uh, it led to the catastrophe by and putting the Aaron on the on the wagon led to the death of Uzzah and David kind of knew it right away and he felt it and therefore his face was ashen as we said yesterday. So now two lines up for the bottom. So here the Aaron is traveling to Beit Shemesh. Ah, Beit Shemesh. A uh, place I'm very familiar with. Mishum Vayach. Right. Um, so the question, that has a question mark. Because they saw it, it's a, again, the Pasuk says that the people of Beit Shemesh were smitten down, they were killed because they looked on the Aron. This is in Shmuel Aleph, as the Aron was coming. So wait a minute. Why would they be killed for looking at the Aron? Like, wouldn't you look at the Aron if the Aron was coming to Baltimore? Um, so because they looked, Vayach, that's why they got punished, because they were looking. So Rabbi Yabar, Rabbi Lazar, Chadamar Kotzer, Mishtachvim Hayu, Vachadamar Mili Nami Amor. So there's a Machlok, as Rabbi Lazar. One of them says, well, the reason the people of Beit Shemesh were punished is like, you know, they were working in the fields. <laughs> and as the Aaron's coming, they're like, oh, that's interesting. But they're continuing to work the field. They're like, wow, that's cool. But like they're not, you know, they're still checking their emails and they're still. Uh, so that's a really way too casual. You're supposed to stop what you're doing and like stand up, erect and, and, and look at it for respect. Right. And the other one says, no, they were also saying disrespectful things as we turn to Lamed Heyman Bey's Man Amreich. The uh, What were the disrespectful things that the people of HMS were saying? They're saying, hey, fancy meeting you here, Aaron, right? What angered you that you weren't here? And uh, to what do we owe your arrival now? So something, some uh, way of talking that was casual and disrespectful to the Aaron, like fancy meeting you here, that was not respectful enough. So uh, both of them, right, they're arguing exactly what, whether they did something uh, while they were uh, witnessing the Aaron return to Beit Shemesh, but that was the reason why they were punished. Okay, and the Pasuk continues, How many? Uh, he, people died. Seventy and fifty thousand. Wait, so is it seventy? Is it fifty thousand? Is it fifty thousand seventy? So Rabbi Abba, Rabbi Lazar, Chadamar Shivim Ish Hayu, Echol Echad Ve'echad Shokol Chechamishim Elef. So again, a machlokas, between Rabbi Yabba and Rabbi Lazar, the same Baalei uh, Machlogas here, that some say, one said that it was 70 men, but they were so prominent that each one, or it was such a tragedy, that each one counted as 50,000. Or it's 50,000 men, and each one was so uh, prominent that they were like the 70 men of the Sanhedrin that we know. Uh, either I guess that's even worse, right? Because it's a lot more people, and each one was chashav in their own right. Okay, it's a terrible thing. So now six lines down, Alamid Hayon Bays, we're transferring the Aron and we're following it to Yerushalayim. Okay, so the problem is there is a little discrepancy in that narrative in that account, and as follows. So it says in Divrei Yomim, Vehi Kitzadu Nosei Aron Hashem 
Shisha Tzadim Vezbach Shor Mari. Okay, so they're walking. What did David do? This was like a whole, obviously, amazing ceremony. I mean, you can imagine, Andrew, bringing the Aaron back to Yerushalayim. And so every sixth step, David would slaughter an ox and a Mari, which is like a fatling. Okay. So, Uchsiv, Shiva Parim Shiva Elim. But, in Divrei, uh, okay, no, no, no. So that's in Malachim. That's what it says in, in Malachim. So again, in Malachim, there's, a, there's an ox and a fatling. Okay. Uh, and then in Divrei Ayamim, it's Shiva Parim Shiva Elim. It's not one ox and one fatling, seven bulls and seven rams. So which is it, Andrew? How many animals were being slaughtered? That's the discrepancy. So I'm going to Shmuel, Al Kol Psiya Psiya Shor Mari, Al Kol Sheish Vashesh Psiyos, Shiva Parim Vashiva Elim. So Papa Bar Shmuel says every step was an ox and a fatling. So that's every single step from uh, all the way to Yerushalayim. Oh my goodness. And then every six steps, in addition to the ox and the fatling, seven bulls and seven rams. What is going on here? Slaughterhouse. So I'm going I mean, it's just, it looks like Dever out there, Barry. It's just dead bulls, cows, dead, dead, dead bulls and, and uh, rams everywhere. That seems, insa- it seems insane. <laughs> it seems like a crazy amount of animals dead all over the, all over the place. So if Chis says, no, it's a lot less, but still a lot. No, that every six steps, it was actually an ox and a fatling. And then, Every 36 steps, right? Every six sets of six steps, Shiva Parim Shiva Elim. Then seven bulls and seven rams. Still a lot, but at least it's not just like animals, bulls and rams and uh, all over on top of each other the entire way to Yerushalayim. A little bit more spaced out, and that is how you reconcile the, the account in Devar Yomim and in Malachim. Good. Okay, now, back to Uza. okay? Um, there, there's a little bit of a discrepancy between Devar Yomim and Shmuel. Ksiv Kidon, Ksiv Nachon. It says, it says in uh, Divrei Yomim that they got to Kidon, and, but in Shmuel it says they came to the threshing floor of Nachon. So did they get to Kidon or Nachon? Which place did they get to? So Yochanan, Beschila Kidon, Vasof Nachon. A lot of way, different ways to explain this. The Kidon really is a spear. So in the beginning, it was a spear. We'll go with this explanation. In the beginning, it was a spear in the sense that it was not carried properly and maybe not without enough respect. And then, obviously, nachon means that it was correctly. So it was first carried incorrectly on a wagon. Then when Uzzah died, they got the hint. And then it was carried nachon correctly. So it's really not a different place. It was really referring more to the way that they carried the Aaron. Okay. Now we're up to a whole new thing. We're resuming the brisa, right, at the two dots. Uh, almost halfway down Lamed Hayam Bez, and we're going to talk more about the idea of crossing the Yardane as follows. It says, if you follow the chronology, you're going to, follow, you're going to see an amazing thing. That you may not have realized this, Barry, but throughout uh, the entrance into Eretz Yisrael across the Yardane with Yeshua and all that, starting from Moshe and then, and then following through with Yeshua, stones, Stones are a theme. As a matter of fact, counted up three sets of stones. So one was Moshe Rabbeinu. He erected it on the other side of the Yardin in Eretz Moav. As it says, Remember, 
right? He started to clarify the Torah. And this is in the Chumash, right? So in, in the beginning of Devarim, right? He's erecting these stones as he's writing the Torah on it. And then, so that's the first set of stones. Got it, Andrew? We're not going to get bogged down in the gear sauce. We have to get to Lavan Vav. But the point is, then it says that they got to Har Eval. So that's already in Israel. And it says again that you should write on the stones, um, right? The, you should write on the stones. It's called Divera Torah Azos. Okay. So now it's saying to write it on, on the stones. It doesn't really mention the stones necessarily by Moshe Rabbeinu, but it says the Gemara, Asya Be'er Be'er. Because there it also says Be'er. Uh, right. So since it says Bechasavta Be'er again in both places, so we assume that it, both places involve stones. Okay, fine. So just like, again, at Harival, the Be'er, it says, Alavanim. So, so too, the Be'er type of Moshe Rabbeinu was written on the Avanim. Okay, and that's from Xer Shava. So that is two sets of stones. One Be'er, it's Moab, and one in, right, and one in Harival. And then, and now Yeshua's in there, we're crossing, and we're in the Yardin, and they get stones out of the Yardin. There you go. Stones. Okay. And then you get to the Gilgal. Okay. So then, so again, they took, so what really happened is there, they took stones out of the Yardane and Yeshua took those stones and he erected those stones in a place called Gilgal. So follow the Chumash and Devarim, follow it through Yeshua, and you'll see there were stones in Eretz Moab, then there were stones again at Har Heval, then they took stones out of the Yardane and they erected them in the Gilgal. So there is actual, uh, so here, the Gemara just said that there's three. So it's interesting that uh, I saw the note in the art scroll, it says that curiously, if you look at Rashi and the Chumash, you'll see that Rashi himself says that there's three sets of stones, 12 in the Yardane, and the corresponding number in Gilgal, where they brought it, and then the corresponding number in, in Har Eval. And Rashi says that, as it says in Masech Sota, quotes our Gemara. But wait, our Gemara has the, the Yardane and the Gilgal true, and has Har Eval, but it also has Eretz Moab. So it's like a fourth set of stones. So if you look at the uh, some of the Mepharshim say that, no, that this is how he's explaining Sota. Maybe he's talking about uh, the, the Yushalmi in Sota, but the bottom line is one way of reconciling it, just to clarify, um, just to give you a Be'er Hetev there, Barry, if you see what I mean, is to say that here, we're talking about the Yardane, the Gilgal, and, right, and the, um, and the, so again, there's Moab is where Moshe Rabbeinu did it. Right, and then there's Aval, Yardin, and Gilgal. So maybe Aval, Yardin, and Gilgal is the three, and then the fourth is Eretz Moav of Moshe Rabbeinu, which is assumed, right? Because that's already a different set of stones, something like that. In other words, you have to reconcile the Masechah Sota uh, in Yerushalmi with Masechah Sota in right in here in the Bavli, and you know if Rashi is going to quote it, so he must have understood our Gemara in a specific way. That's a little bit different than it looks like Pasha Pshat over here, but the bottom line is lots of stones. Looks like there's four if you include Moshe Rabbeinu and Eretz Moav, and then Eval, and then Yardin, and then Gilgal. Good. So now we continue with the Bryce. Tanur Rabbanon. Ketzad Kosvi Yisrael Torah. So wait a second. At the Mizbeach at Har Eval, 
they wrote the Torah. Alavanim is called Divrei Torah Zos. That's a that's a miraculous thing, as we'll see. There's a lot of uh, th- that, that's a very that's a very tough thing to do. But first, we're going to get pragmatic. Like, how did they write the Torah? Rabbi Yehuda Omer Agabe Avanim Kasvua. So there's going to be machlokas here. Rabbi Yehuda says they inscribed directly onto the stones. Shneimar Bechasafta Al Havanim is called Divrei Torah Zos. Okay, so at Harayval, this is where the psukim are coming out of. They're writing. They're writing the Torah into stones. Kol divrei Torah. Okay. So first you carve it into the stone, and then you carve, and then you coat it with plaster. We know that the Torah was uh, commanded to be be'er hetev. Well, we already uh, we're going to see be'er hetev means. Amazingly, Barry, that the entire Torah, whatever that means, there's Machlokes, Sadjagon, um, and other uh, opinions all over the map. Was it the Aseris Adibros? Was it the 613 mitzvahs? Was it the entire Torah? Okay, but whatever it was, it was the entire Torah, whatever you'll call that, in 70 languages for all the world to read. Okay, so this is like a real proclamation of like, right, written in stone, so to speak. So the question is, Says Rabbi Shimon, In other words, if you're carving it into stone and then just covering it with plaster, so how's that for all the world to read? Isn't that the point of writing the whole Torah in seventy languages? Amar so, right? So Yehuda answered, that somehow there, Hashem gave the nations of the world extra insight, and they sent their scribes the. Peeling off, to peel off the plaster, and they each were able to carry away a copy of it. In other words, like they gave a moment. Remember, we used to go to the library, Barry, and get the microfiche, right, uh, for the uh, for the uh, different right uh, articles that we would look for. So they had an opportunity to go get the photocopies, so to speak, of the Torah and uh, peel away at the. Uh, so even if they were scribed in the stone and then put the plaster on, they had the opportunity to access it if they want. To which Rabbi Yehuda continues. Yeah, that's why all those nations were actually, their fate was sealed for, for Gehenim. Because they had access, but they didn't learn. Okay, so, so that's what he said, right? They had access to it. The Torah was written in 70 languages, accessible to all. And they said, no, thank you, we're good. And therefore, they were punished for that. Rabbi Shimon Omer al Gabi That no, it's the opposite. It's not that it was covered with plaster and then removed by the scribes, but first the plaster, meaning it wasn't first carved in stone and then covered with plaster, but first it was um, coated with plaster. The stones were, and then the Torah was inscribed into the plaster on top of it. Okay, and he continues to say and then they wrote for all the nations the following pasuk, to teach you not to act like all the abominations. In other words, you have to do the will of Hashem. This was a message to the nations of the world. So there's a more fundamental thing going on here, Barry. It's not just a pragmatic question. I mean, like, I don't know, you know, stone and then plaster, plaster and then stone. It's not just that. It's a fundamental question. It, are you allowing, and of course, right, if you look at the Mepharshim, it'll get really deep into the, perhaps even the um, allegory here. But the point is, to say that it was first stone and then written, uh, and then plaster, and then written on top of plaster, it is to say, you guys have the opportunity, nations of the world, to do tshuva. If you do tshuva, you're 
uh, repentance would be accepted. And then at that point, uh, you don't have to be killed, right? So it's kind of a question of how much of an opportunity did they have, right? In other words, you're coming into Israel. Uh, there's no nice way to say it. Those nations are going to be goners, right? We're going to clear it out. I mean, right? This is it, not politically correct, but we're going to clear it out. We're going to clear out the abominations and we're going to set up shop in Israel. This was the divine will. And so did the people of the inhabitants of uh, the land of Israel have an opportunity to repent and then be part of that process? Or was it like, you know what, you guys are goners, you're just low lives, we're going to clear you out? This is a very fundamental machokas. I'm a Rav Barshilo. My time at Rabbi Shimon. Why did Rabbi Shimon think that this is the way that, 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 that they were given an opportunity to repent? Uh, right, that the nations will be the burnings of plaster, al iske seed, which means they'll burn because of the plaster, which is to say that they'll burn only if they don't listen, right? But if they do listen, they won't burn. Whereas Rabbi Yehuda, how does he explain that pasuk? Ki seed, that actually the nations will be like plaster. Ma seed, eno takana el just like the only way to fix plaster is to burn it. Afo sama kusim, en takana el And those kusim, right, the representative of the nations that you'll meet when you come into Israel for the first time, the only way really, this is a little bit of a kahana uh, approach, the only way really to deal with them is to, is to right, throw them in the ocean uh, to, or to burn them up. Uh, not politically correct. Let's move on. Three lines up from the bottom of the base. Command Azlahadatanya Vishavita Shivyo. So in the following uh the Brisa says, Vishavita Shivyo, that the Pasuk said when you come into the land, you're going to capture them. You're gonna take them captives. It doesn't say you're gonna burn them all at the stake or or nuke them out. Right? This is uh famously in the Torah by the Ashashifat Torah, right? When you take the Khitse, the Milchama, and you're gonna take captives. So, that Pasuk is talking about what? Outside of Chutzlaretz, when you find some of the inhabitants that spill over, so if they do tshuva, in fact, you will accept them. As we arrive at Lamed Vav at Alf, at the manageable time of 5.56 a.m., Keman, who does that? Rabbi Shimon, right? Obviously, like Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon says that they had the opportunity to do tshuva. Otherwise, why would you take captives? Just kill them all. Okay, fine. It says the Gemara, on top of, uh, Come see how many miracles were performed on this day that they crossed the Jordan. Listen, listen to this busy day, Barry. So first of all, you just crossed the Yardin. That's already a great day. This is according to Rabbi Yehuda and Lama Gimel and Bez that we learned, not Rabbi Lazar, because Rabbi Yehuda held that Har, uh, unlike Rabbi Lazar said that Har Grizim Har Ivala right there, you might recall there's a machlokas to its location. Um, but according to Rabbi Yehuda, it's like 60 mil away. So already a very busy day. You're crossing the yard and you're going 60 mil over to those mountains. Uh, another great aspect of that day is as they're passing through these 60 mil, nobody could stand up against them. This is the way the Ramu, Rav Mordechai Willig Shlita, describes his year in Israel. His year in Israel was uh, 1967. His, that was the year he went to Karabiyavne. And he went on that fateful uh Shavuos, uh, not only coincidence, almost coming up, uh, to the Kotel for Vasikin. And he says, all the nations in the Shuk, they were looking at the Jews with fear. Yerushalayim had just been captured and they cleared out the promenade for the first time in 2000 years. Unbelievable. And he sees nobody could, like the, the, the nations trembled with fear from, right, the fact that Hashem was bringing Klal Israel to their promised land. Anyway, 
So that's what whoever stood up against them immediately lost control of their bowels, meaning, right, they were trembling in fear. Right, so I'm going to send them ahead of you. This is Pasuk in Shmos. They were confounded, right? I'm going to confound the people. So meaning they're going to come and they're going to be very Hamosi, uh, right? Almost like, it sounds like death, but really they're just totally in shock and watching Claudius just waltz right in. So again, they're crossing the Yarden and waltzing right into Hargazim and Harival. Right, so you might recall this from uh, Az Yashir uh, area where we're saying that they're going to be there's going to be fear and terror when Kali Israel finally gets reunited with their promised land. Uh, more Az Yashir. We say, Ajavor Amcha Hashem, right? Ajavor Amzu Kanisa, it says in Az Yashir. So until your people pass, says the Gemara, Zubia Rishona. That's the first time that they went into Eretz Israel with Yeshua through the Yardin. And then Ajavor Amzu Kanisa says the Gemara, Zubi Ashniya. That's the second time. It's a reference in Az Yashir to the second coming at. Ezra, under Ezra, when they come back from Bavel. Okay, the kibbutz Goliath from then. Emor me'ata, wait, so why does it say, why does it say, what's the connection between them? So you say, Emor me'ata, from here you see the following idea, that really, even the second time around, upon the return from their exile in Bavel, the Yisrael could have had the same kind of nisim and niflos that we did, right? The same kind of miraculous entry that we did when we crossed the Yardane where everybody was afraid and we're crossing 60 mil. And yet they did not merit to have that the second time around. It was just a smattering of Jews, right? Not, uh, and it, without pomp and circumstance. Why so, says the Gemara? So again, you learn from the Ad Yavoram Chashem Ad Yavoram Zukanisa that the opportunity was there at the second coming just as there was at the first Aliyah. But there was a chait. What was the chait? Mepharshim are all over the place. Presumably it was something to the effect of that not too many people were interested, right? That the aliyah was, uh, nefesh benefesh was in effect. The aliyah was available and people didn't take advantage of it. That is, uh, I spoke to Beshefkin last night about this. And he wants to make all podcasts about this. Anyways, so people didn't take advantage of the opportunity to go into Eretz Yisrael. Yeah. So that is the chet in itself. And therefore, may we all be zoche to, uh, when we have the opportunity, to go into Eretz Yisrael together. Okay. So anyway, they entered then. So now, let's, what happened on that day? More stuff. We're not done, Barry. Busy day. You're crossing the yard and going to Eretz Yisrael. Now you're bringing the aforementioned stones. And you build a bama on Harival. You build a mizbeach, rather, on Harival. Vesadu besid. So, okay, so you're making it, uh, so now you're covering with plaster, as we mentioned. Bechasholim is called Devatar Vashivim Lashon. You need enough time in the day, Barry, now to write the entire Torah in 70 languages. Shanema Be'er Hetev. That's what it said that we're going to do. And then Ve'elu Olos Shlomim. And still, furthermore, they're bringing up Shlomim and Olos as Karbanos. Ve'achlu Veshosu Vesabchu. So again, you cross the yard in 60 mil. But writing the entire Sefer Torah on the stones, erecting the stones. And now you're having a Suda, right? Like a Siyam. Shosuv, Asamchu, you're drinking, you're, you're happy. Uverchu, Vekilu. They pronounced, they, they recreated in a sense the Brachos and the Klaus of Har, Grizim and Harival. They keep Avanim. Now you're dismantling the stones. Uva, Uvalanu, Bagilgal. And then they go and they spent the whole night in Gilgal. Shanemar, Vavartem, Osemim, Ochem. Binachtem, Osemim, Bamalon. It says Bamalon in the singular. Huh. 
You know, you think you're going 60 mil and you're spending this whole day, you're going to have at least one stopover, right? Is this not a direct flight, Barry? LMI says, Barry, it says, it says Malone only in the singular. So it's like, you know, when you take the one hotel room as your base and you're traveling all around and you get back to the same hotel, only one Malone in the singular, right? That's what it says. You might have thought there was multiple hotels. It says, no. The, pach, the Pasuk teaches you. You go back to the same hotel that you were on that very night. Oh, wow. So, and in the same context, right, it says that take the 12 stones that you're taking from Gilgal. So you put it all together in Yeshua and you see that it's unbelievable. On the same day, they cross the Yardane, they travel 60 mil, and nobody could stand in their way, right? And, and, and then... Right, even though they had already crossed and, and went to Hargazim and Harival, there was enough time build an, build a mizbeach or you know erect these stones, coat them with plaster, write the whole Torah in seventy languages, offer the sacrifices, have a suda, and have a party. Then say the brachas and the klalos. Then dismantle the whole thing and then go back on the same take to Gogal. What a day, huh? That's quite a day. Okay. So we all be zochah to have full and meaningful days. Ten lines up from the wide. Here we go. So now we already said the psukim, uh, the pasuk, right, chavzain in perik chav gimel of Shmos. Now let's talk to the next pasuk. Tana. Tzira lo avrei mahem. So now we cross the Yardain and we're going to talk about the following thing. The tzira. What's the tzira? The tzira, it says in the pasuk chav was our secret weapon, one of our secrets, Hashem's our secret weapon, but it was a flying, some sort of flying insect that was on our side. It was our, our secret weapon that was like spitting venom at everybody and killing everybody. So wait, it didn't come with them? Is that true? Uh, how do we know? So this tzira, again, is described over there. Uh, so it says, But in Shemos we say that he did send the tzira. So what's going on? Okay, so again, um, there's a discrepancy whether the tzira passed with us or not. The Pasuk certainly says, uh, and this definitely seems like a discrepancy, it says that the tzira will be sent ahead of us, right? And it's going to drive away all the nations. So we were told that the tzira will pass. And yet, then it seems in the account in, uh, in Yeshua that the tzira did not pass. So how do you reconcile this? So Amr of Shimon ben Lakish, Asfat Yadeinam Davizarka ben Mara. Yeah, that's how you reconcile it. it the Tzirah didn't actually pass the Yardain River, but it was able to do its effect like a, uh, like a rocket or whatever, that it could spit the venom on the nations across the river. Good, good. It had the effect of blinding their eyes above, uh, making them sterile below. Right? If you look at the Pasuk in Amos, it, it references that I'm going to destroy the Imori that are really tall and like tall and also destroy their fruits from above and their roots from below. So that's what it's talking about. The fruit from above is their eyes, the roots from below is sterilizing them. And bada bing, bada boom, we now have the Tzirah. Uh, venom spitting a trans Jordan and we're good. Or, that's one way of resolving it. So again, the Tzirah did go ahead of us, but it didn't have to cross. Or Maybe there's two. The one of Moshe was the one referenced in Shmos, where, 
we actually uh, where it was it didn't it did in fact right would have crossed Yeshua uh, where it did not cross rather and Yeshua did cross just like Moshe himself didn't cross and Yeshua did so the one with Moshe didn't cross and the one with Yeshua did right the Moshe lo avar Yeshua avar right the one of Moshe didn't cross and the one of Yeshua did two different siras and that's how you reconcile that discrepancy first wide line on the bottom of Lamavavim Aleph. Let's talk about the Shvatim Alula Hargrizim and Harival. What's going on over here? Mai Vehechetsu. So you have to look at the Pasuk. Shishatim Alula Rosh Hargrizim. And it says, and all of them went, and half of them on the slopes of Hargrizim, half of them on the slopes of Harival. Mai Vehechetsu. This is a Pasuk in Yeshua. Perkhes Pasuk Lam and Gimel. Kol Yisrael's Kenavar Shatrim Vishavtav, Omdim Yizem Vizel Aron. And it says, So one says half, and the other one says, Ve-ha-chetzio. And the other half, what's Ve-ha-chetzio? It's a weird word. Shouldn't it say, chetzio, ve-chetzio? And what's the half, Ha-chetzio? So, So it's a reference to, again, in other words, one set, the way you would talk normally, Barry, just to clarify, is that you could say they got there and half vechetzio behar gazim, vechetzio behar eval. Why say vechetzio behar gazim and then say vehachetzio and the other half in har eval? The veha seems superfluous. It says, just like they were separated here by har gazim and har eval, so too bavne efod. So that's what it means vehachetzio. There's an additional place where, not but. There's an additional place where this division of Kali Israel into like half and half happens. The first is in Hargazim and Harival. The second is on the aphod. What's the aphod? The aphod stones of the Kohen Gadol. Oh. They, as you know, the way that it's written, the, right, you have the division of the, of the, um, Shvatim on there. Okay. The problem is, we have a Brisa that's going to seem to challenge of Kahana. And you're going to see, because the description, uh, I'll say it outside first, the description of which Shvatim, which of the tribes stood on Har Gizim and Har Eval is different than the description of which Shvatim are written in the Ephod. So this is supposed to be some sort of contradiction, right? Because Herav Kahana sounded like he was saying like the same division, just like they were split up in Har Gizim and Har Eval. That's how they were split up on the Ephod. And that's not entirely true, because if you follow... Which Shvatim were which? And Hargazim and Harival, on the a it's written a little bit differently. That's all. But we'll see that right now. As we said, the Kohen Gadol has on the a two precious stones on his shoulders. One on the right, one on the left. And there's a Shemash, and, and the names of all the tribes are on it. Shishal Evan Zu, Vishishal Evan Zu. If you do the math, six on each one. Shinema. Shisha Mishmasam Alevan Achas. Right? So this is in. Right, the description in Shemos already that it says, right, so you, all you need is the Chumash for this to know that there's six on one side, six on the other. Shnia Ketodosam, the names on the second were according to their chronological birth dates, birthdays. Lori Shona Ketodosam, but the ones on the, on the first one, uh, stone were not exactly. Why? Because Yehuda Muktam, because Yehuda's first, he was the mo- he was given prominence even though he's born fourth. The Chamishimosios Hayu, you should know that there are 50 letters in total amongst all the names if you add it up. So the math is fascinating, right? It's 25 letters on one stone, 25 on the other. Count the math. Look at Ruben, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda. Count up all the letters of their names. It's going to be 25, 25 for a total of 50. So he, he explains that 
the midbar, right? Chomish Hapkudim, which is by midbar, has a different, right? Stone, a, a different um, split up of the two of the twelve shvatim as the ephod. El kaderek shechalukin b'chomish sheni that it appears as they are apportioned in shmos, not the way that they are in the midbar. Ketzad, how so? Because bnei leah kasidron, bnei leah ruben shimon levi huda yisachar zvulun. That's one way. Bnei rachel echad mikan veechad mikan. And then you have the Bnei Rachel, which are obviously Yehu, uh, Yosef and Binyamin, they're bookending them. And then Bnei Shvachos Ve'emsa. And, and then the sons of the Shvachos, Dan, Naftali, Gad, and Asher, are between Binyamin and Yosef. So you have Bnei Leah, who are six on one side. And then Bnei Rachel and the Shvachos on the, uh, the Shvachos bookend Bnei Rachel on the other side. Ah. The Elamayim, the kid told us, I mean, the Pasuk says that it's in chronological birth order. So how do you do that? But told the psalm, Barry, doesn't mean that it was in the chronological order of their birth. It means according to their birth name. Moshe did not call them as the same way that their father. Their father called him Ruvain. And Moshe said, right? Because by then there was already a tribe. Okay, so it's not really that he didn't call him Ruvain, but he says Ruvaini. Ruvain below Ruvaini, Shimon below Shimoni, Dan below Hadani. Does it say Hadani? Not sure. But apparently that's what he, Moshe called them. So again, yeah, uh, so Yaakov called his son Reuven, Shimon, Dan, God. But Moshe called him Reuveni, Shimoni, Dani, Vagadi. So Reuven, Velo, Reuveni, Shimon, Velo, Shimoni, Dan, Velo, Dani, God, Velo, Agadi, which is to say, how does the name appear on the ephod? God, Dan, Reuven, not Reuveni, Shimoni, like Moshe called them. Even though the ephod was being, right, fashioned at the time of Moshe, the names of the Shvatim are their actual original OG names that were given by Yaakov Avinu. Okay, so now the Gemara says, so what's the Tiyufta to Rav Kahana? Tiyufta to Rav Kahana? Tiyufta, yeah. Because Rav Kahana, again, he had it, um, uh, Shimon Levi Yehuda Yisachar Yosef Ben Yamin on the first stone, and Reuben God Asher Zvul and Dan Naftali on the second stone, and the Tanakam and Rav Gamliel have it right in a totally different order. So basically, the Tiyufta is the order on the Aphod is not like the order on Har Grizim and Har Eval. So that, therefore, So what does it mean? So Rav Kahana, according to him, that was what it meant when it said Vehachetzio, that the order was the same, but the order was not the same. Right, the, the division on the Avne Ephod is different. So Tana Chetzio Shel Mul Har Guzim Meru Mechetzio Shel Har Eval. Vehachetzio is a totally different thing. That it means that the half that stood on Har Guzim was greater than the half, half that stood on Har Eval. Why? Pnei Levi Limata, because the one on Har Eval lacked the Shevet Levi, who which was below, right in the valley between the two mountains. Says the Gemara. Wait a minute. Adarab, on the contrary, it should be that the half of the Jewish people on Har Grizim should be more numerous. In other words, the, the reason why it says Vehachetzio we're suggesting now is that the people, right, in Har Eval were greater. Vehachetzio, an even greater half, so to speak, right, the greater portion was in Har Grizim. We say, wait a minute. If, if the Har Grizim, if the Har Eval was missing the Levium, so the Har Grizim should have been more people. They should levi lamata batsri lehu, right? It should be, uh, such that the Hargizim had more people. So the Bryce says, no, this is what it means. That even though Levi was taken out from half the, pe- from the people, right, still, the people that were Hargizim were still more numerous. B'nai Yosef Imahim. Why? Because they had, on Hargizim, when you look, you have the B'nai Yosef, Ephraim and Nasha, and that is, and they are very num- numerous. How do we know? In a different context, they said, Right? That the, the Ephraim and Nasha 
tribes go over to Yeshua and they're like, are you kidding me? I only get this parcel of land. We're way more people than everyone else. So that's how we know that they were way more people than everyone else. He says, if you're so many people, gay cocking in the forest, go, right? You should just go into the, so what does this mean? Multiple people go into the forest. Why is he telling them to go into the forest? It's a question. In the forest within their land? The forest outside of there? What is he saying? So so Yeshua says to him, Go hide yourself in the forest. So you don't have a Ayin Hara. When you're concealed, there's no Ayin Hara. And whatever that, you know, again, uh, uh, several interpretations of what that can mean. But We know, right, and the bracha for Yosef is that they don't have an Ayin Hara. That's a fascinating thing. That's literally what, what we, how we translate Bain Parat Yosef, Bain Parat Ayin. He's above Ayin Hara. So they say, we don't need to avoid Ayin Hara by running into the forest. We are uh, impervious to Ayin Hara as descendants of Yosef. As the Gemara explains, Don't just say Ale Ayin, but rising over Ayin, which is to say, rising over Ayin Hara. Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Amar Mehacha. Ba'id Gularov, Be'kerav Aretz. Right? Famously, at the Blessing of the children of Ephraim and Manasseh, we said Vayid Gularov Ma Dagim Shebeyam Maim Chasim Aleim. Right, uses the lashon of fish, just like fish that are in the ocean. The ocean covers them. Ve'ena Ayin Shalat Ben and Ayin Ara doesn't doesn't reach them. Af Zarah Shal Yosef Ein Ayin Shalat Ben. So when you have Ephraim and Manasseh and you Zarah Shal Yosef, there's no Ayin Hara. So why do they have to tell him go into the forest and hide and avoid the Ayin Hara? Okay, so fine. So that is an interesting question, but be that as it may. Right, that was the discussion. They wanted more land, and we know, therefore, that they were more numerous. Fine. So now, Hanu Chamishim Osios. We said before that there are 50 letters on the aphod. Is that true? Chamishim Nechi Chad Yahavain. Count it up, Andrew. It's 49. It's not 50. So I'm Rabbi Yitzchak, Yosef Osif Luosachas. Yeah, that's because if you have Yosef, you see that it's not Yosef. Shenemar Edus Bi Yehosef. You add an extra hay into Yosef, and that's how you come out to 50. Maskev Lav Nachman Rabbi Yitzchak. However, didn't we just say that Ketoldotam meant that it's the name that, that Yaakov gave him? He didn't name him Yehosef. He named him Yosef. So we learned from that, I thought, that it's supposed to be just Yosef, not with the extra hay. You're right, says the Gemara. So it must be like this. Everywhere else in the Torah, Binyamin is written with just one Yud between the Nun and the Mem. Right? Another Yud between the Nun, Yud, Mem, Yud, Nun. Because how do you like that? In the Torah, there's one place where it says Binyamin with two yuds, and it's in the context of saying, and that's what his father called him. So when you put it on the aphod, you write it in the way that his father called him. And sure enough, his father had added a yud. And therefore, you know, my own name, Ido, I don't know if it should be Ein Dalvav or Ein Yud Dalvav. I have to look into that. Ein Yud Dalvav, I think, in my two dot Anyway, Amar Avchanav Arbizna, Amar Bishim Chasida, Yosef Shekidesh Shem Shemayim Beseser, Osifal of Oz Achas Mishmashal Kadesh Baruch So getting back to this idea, so, to the added letter, Yehosef, of Yosef, why, was, why did he merit it? Well, because he was Mekadoshim Shemaim in private. However, Yehuda, Shekidoshim Shemaim Befahesya, Yehuda was Mekadoshim Shemaim publicly, as we'll see, Nikra Kulu Al Shemosh Kadosh Baruch Hu. His whole name, Yehuda, it just looks like the Shem Hashem Amforosh, with like a little Dalit stuck in there. He's got a real uh, um, holy name. So says the Gemara, Yosef Maihi. What was the episode of Yosef? You want to guess, Andrew? In private, he was Mekadosh Shem Shemayim. He came to the house of Potiphar to the Lasos Melachto. What does that mean? 
both Yosef and Potiphar's wife had the same idea that there was going to be a sin. However, he got out of it. Uh, quoted right, obviously Rashi and Chumash, the whole idea, he goes to the house to do his work. So one of them said that Yosef was going to the office. That he went, knowing that Potiphar's wife was going to be there and that he was going to be with her. Says the Pasuk in Vayeshev, nobody was home. Says the Gemara, talking a big mansion of Potiphar and it's empty, like why would it be empty? This is like a a uh, uh, palatial estate. There's always some people there. No, there's an explanation. Also, Yom Yom They had a big Avodah festival. Nobody misses that. Everybody's going out for that. But Eishet Potiphar said, you know what? I'm going to call in sick today with intention of catching Yosef because she knew that Jewish guy, he's not going to the Avodah festival and this is going to be my day to entrap him. This is the best day that I can grab Yosef because he's for sure still going to go to the office. But Marsh grabs him by his clothing to say, However, famously, Yosef sees his father, the vision of his long lost father in the window in Amar Lo, and saying to him, Yosef, you know, you and all your brothers of the Shvatim are going to be written on the Avne Ephod in the future. How, but we're not going to be able to write your name on that. Aphod, if you're hanging out with Ashid Potifar, Roe Zonos, they're going to say, well, we're going to have this Roe Zonos, uh, as, as it says in Mishlei Dechsev, Roe Zonos, Yabed Hon. You're going to lose your fortune if you're Roe Zonos. I mean, you're not going to be able to, if you're hanging out with these ladies, you're not going to be able to be written on the Aphod, Miyad, Vatesha, Beisan, Kashto. Immediately in the Brachos of Yaakov, it says, he put the bow back. He brought it to the form, to its former state. And his arms, right, were gilded, um, which is to say, Yosef jabbed his hands right in this nisayon into the ground. And the shechazar came out of fingernails. From the hands of the power of Yaakov, How, what caused Yosef to be engraved in the end on the ephod? That because he was a shepherd, he was able to lead the flock of Yosef because Yaakov, his vision got, caused Yosef to overcome the Avodazara, the, the uh, Yetzirah, and it is for that reason that he was able to avoid Chait and end up on the Aphod. We'll resume tomorrow. Hashem 17 lines up from the bottom of Lamed Vav, Amud Bez. Sorry, I went one minute over.